The T20 World Cup is coming to our shores in 2020 with the best of the best striving for the ultimate glory. Before that all kicks off, let's join Mel Jones as she chats to cricket royalty on road to the T20 World Cup. Road to the T20 World Cup has Australian cricketing royalty with them today. 12 tests, 144 one-day internationals, and 95 T20 internationals makes Alex Blackwell the most capped women's international player in Australian history. More than 5,000 runs for Australia, and she also captained the team to their very first ever T20 World Cup win. That was in 2010 in the West Indies, so we could not have a better person to talk all things cricket, life, and social change than Alex Blackwell. Firstly, most importantly, Al, Happy World Twin Day for yesterday, December 18. Do you and your identical twin sister, Kate, <laughs> celebrate it at all? We don't, but I think we should. You should, yes. That, that was a that was a thing. So uh, thank you for identifying <laughs> that. And um, I'll put it in the diary. Put it in the diary, okay. Event. Yeah. Radio. Okay, on December 17 next year, I'm going to just give you a little reminder. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> the first thing I ask everyone on Road to the T20 will come is about their, just their favourite sporting memory, something that sort of sticks out in their mind. It doesn't have to be cricket-specific, but something that just resonates with you. I think the 2000 Olympics was massive and there was a number of events, many who were sort of female athletes that really stood out. But the one for me is the women's water polo gold medal win right on yes. the buzzer. Yes. I'm pretty sure, I, I should know who took the shot. But I'm pretty sure it was one of the younger athletes who, you know, I guess was maybe entrusted to to be in that position in the first place by the team, but also had the courage to take that shot and get her team over the line. So that was a huge moment that I, I look back on very fondly. Did that resonate with you as a player or has it resonated more with you later on being a, a senior player and a captain and now even a coach? I think... Obviously, these experiences hadn't happened for me at the time. So it's looking yeah. back on, on that particular gold medal win and maybe you know, thinking about how moments like that have happened in my career. I think about the, that clutch victory of the, our first T20 World Cup win, captaining that side in the last over and the, on the last ball, Elise Perry bowling to Sophie Devine and you know, just how it all comes down to one moment. And, yeah, being being a part of that World Cup win off the last ball and the relief and elation that we all experience as a team. But, but for, you know, for Elise to be the one in that moment, you know, I think it was just a very special time for, for, for us. I also think about um, the first... Women's Big Bash victory, the Thunder over the Sixers in year yeah, one. Yeah, uh, It was pretty tight. <laughs> and <laughs> actually, unfortunately, Elise Perry was on the other side of it yeah. on that occasion. I think she needed to do a run out and under out and hit the stuff. Yes, that's right. Yep. And, 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 and she missed. <laughs> so it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? It certainly is. Just this week, um, Elise was named the Rachel, Rachel Hayhoe Fleet International Cricketer of the Year. When you look back at when you started playing with her, does it surprise you that um, she's gone on to bigger and better things? No, it doesn't surprise me. I think she hit the ground running as a 16-year-old who hadn't yet played for New South Wales. 
and was bowling for Australia in a series up at Darwin. I, you know, I remember it vividly, her, her first series, because it was unusual, an unusual way to enter your it international was, wasn't career. It? Yeah. But to see how she handled herself under pressure, even as a very young person, it doesn't surprise me at all that you know, two consecutive years she's been the best cricketer in the world and possibly the best all-rounder we've ever seen. Um, so, you know, she's she's outstanding. And I've had a long career sort of side-by-side side with her, actually. I, I'm trying to think of another player who I've played more cricket with Um it would be interesting to stack up all the matches yeah. that I've played sort of alongside her. So it's been an absolute privilege to, to watch her evolve into, you know, just a magnificent athlete. And uh, I think she's got more to give. And we've got we've got a big tournament coming up where all eyes will be on the Australian team. And I think she plays a key part in our our, our chances of winning another T20 World Cup. It certainly does. Speaking of evolution, I want to talk about your evolution. You're born in Wagga Wagga, and now is it true? Is it an urban myth that it, that's the indigenous name for many crows? That's true. It's yes. true. There we go. Okay. Yeah. But grew up in Yenda. So Yenda's for people who don't know Australian geography, about 550 kilometres from Sydney. And what I I knew it was a wine area, but I also saw that it produces 70 percent of New South Wales wine grapes. Would that yeah, be true. Look, I, I, well, if you did the research, Mel, I trust what you've uh, you've oh, delivered. It there. is Wikipedia, it's but huge... we'll, we'll... <laughs> <laughs> oh well, then please, I hope you haven't read my Wikipedia. I'm not sure. No, I did a bit more that. than that. <laughs> terribly boring. Uh, we need to trim that thing down. Okay, we'll, we'll um, do that. <laughs> no, look, Yenda Yenda is a tiny place near Griffith, and the Riverina and the Murrumbidgee irrigation area is a huge wine growing region. Um, I grew up on a vineyard. Uh, we still have grapes that grow on that property. And um, my dad produces those into a red wine. So it's, it's a nice. Tiva Doe, which I mm-hmm. think you've tried. I have. <laughs> uh, you will need to get the new vintage to you. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> so like. Just, I just that. had a wine fridge delivered to my place this morning. So it's oh, waiting. Great. There you go. Excellent. We'll um, leave a spot. I'll I will. The, the, the new vintage <laughs> to you. So wonderful place to grow up, very hot and very cold and very dry. So in the winters, bitterly cold. And then in the summers, playing cricket on a Saturday and Sunday with boys uh, representing our, um, the, the local rep, rep team on the Sunday as well. It, it, was, it was pretty tough. I think uh, yeah, growing up in that region, oh, look, I wouldn't trade it. It was a great place uh, to, to develop as a cricketer. But, um, yeah, I, I obviously have a strong connection with that region still. Um, my, my family is still down there. My parents are, are more sort of in the Wagga area now. And uh, Wagga, yes, it was my birthplace. But uh, it was because I'm a twin and mum wanted to go to the slightly bigger hospital. So from Yenda over to Wagga to deliver yep. Kate and I. Australia's produced two of the world's best sports people recently. So the Matildas striker Sam Kerr and Australia's world javelin champion, Kelsey Lee Barber. Could you have beaten them to those positions? Because you played football and threw the javelin. What? Why didn't That's you stick right. with those two? Why cricket? <laughs> let's, let's go to I football first. <laughs> okay. Look, growing up in, in, in Griffith, a very strong Italian sort of population down there. Yep. So soccer's huge. Yep. Um, but actually, my sport started in Port Macquarie, where my family had a period of five years 
living up there because of my dad's employment. So um, actually I started soccer and cricket with, with my twin sister Kate in Port Macquarie, um, largely to do largely because uh, our family friend Alex Valentine, he played these sports. We're still friends today uh, with Al, and uh, he's actually CEO of um, Judo Australia. So he's oh, right. still involved in sport. He's an absolute sport nut. Uh, cricket and rugby were probably his favourite, uh, even though he's, he must love judo now, obviously. But, <laughs> of course. Uh, um, <laughs> so, yeah, look, at, um, I think, yeah, I'd like to say that maybe I could have played football for Australia or maybe I could have gone and thrown a javelin at the Olympics, but um, my love was, was cricket. So, you know, I think I, I've had a very long career, obviously, playing playing for Australia and uh uh, and it was the, my sport of choice. So yeah, it was um, it was nice to have the the multi sport upbringing. And actually, yeah. I think um, doing gymnastics and ballet as a very little person was How did I not was know very about this ballet to, thing to my uh, development. <laughs> ballet. Yeah, well, look, I think my my mum especially wanted to provide multiple different opportunities um, for all her kids, the all, yeah. all four four daughters and. You know, the, the idea of sort of gender norm sort of sports um, didn't really register with mum, which I think is great. Um, going back a few a few years now, like it would have been unusual. We were the only girls running around playing cricket. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was unusual. But now we, we see so many girls playing cricket. What do you think ballet taught you as a cricketer? Strong arches, strong yep. arches, good balance, uh-huh. proprioception. Oh, and Grace, obviously. No. I'm around the field, the field of Grace. Actually, no, people think I march around. I've got yeah, very determined. You do have a, <laughs> you've got a strut, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting when, you, when you're doing commentary um, and you look up at a field and you've got to quickly identify people. You were one of the easiest ones because there was a definite And why is that now? Because, because of the way in which you carried yourself. Because sometimes, shoulders back, back, chest out with purpose. Good posture. Good, fantastic posture. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the ballet, Mel. That's all it is. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay, so you you, you fall in love with the game of cricket and you get through to Pathways. You you move to, what what year did you move to Sydney? Yeah, so I I described that five-year window as a family. We, we, We left Yenda up to Port, then back to Yenda and um, reconnecting with um, sport in that, well, playing sport for the first time in Griffith against the boys, and that was a bit of a challenge. But um, In what way? Yeah, look, I played, well, the, the boys hadn't um, seen girls playing cricket before, and I think, you know, being new, we were sort of new to town in the eyes of these boys, and they, they hadn't seen us before, and maybe it was also the the age where, um, I don't know, puberty is probably kicking in and we got a bit hassled. Um, yeah. So how being, old were you, you guys? Only... So we would have been about 11 or 12. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, at that time, a bit of sledging, you know, and in, in, in cricket you get that individual attention when, when you're the batter out there yeah. and you've got 11 boys, you know, against you um it you know that we did get sledged a bit and actually yeah. to it's a bit sad we probably got a bit of sledging from parents as well which um you know i really yeah. hope doesn't happen yeah. 
anymore. But, um, yeah, look, we, Kate and I both said, look, we're not really enjoying this cricket thing. We're just going to play soccer. We love soccer. Played for Hanwood Soccer Club um, down in Griffith. And we actually thought that was our path. Yeah. And t- we took, we'd quit cricket for good. Soccer was it. And then cricket actually had lost later, you guys. <laughs> yeah, totally. Cricket, <sighs> we, we thought, no, nah, no, nah, we don't like this game. And it wasn't until a year later, so at Griffith East Public School, we were then in year six. We'd had a year off cricket, but the year six school teacher, Mr. Cook, he saw some talent in the, the, the girls' year group and, and started a girls' cricket team for the very first time for Griffith East Public School. And we went on and won the state knockout in the first year that the school entered a team. On the way, we actually beat our boys' team. Uh, from the school so we were really good and uh, you know from having won the school knockout for the state we each received an individually signed poster from the the legend Belinda Clark who was Australian captain at the time and that just sealed it for for Kate and I we were we were hooked again in the game of cricket and I've actually not missed a season since uh, which is pretty remarkable so you know it's it's those volunteers the, the teachers who uh, at school kind of, you know, create and drive some interest in a particular sport that can make all the difference. So um, sure. if, if Mr. Cook preferred so- soccer, then maybe we wouldn't have uh, yeah. <laughs> gone on and become yeah. cricketers. Comple- well, massive shout out to Mr. Cook. What, what, yeah. what did he teach? Thanks, Mr. Cook. Uh, year six teacher, so everything. Year six, right, so a little bit of everything, um, yep. Yeah, a little bit of everything. He was Kate's year six teacher. Um, and uh, Kate and I were never in the same class, actually. That was the, uh, one of the things that our parents did to you know, create it, allow identity. us to have individual experiences. We were always yep. in separate classes. Yep. Big question, though. Do you still have the poster signed by Belinda Clark? That could be a collector's item. Yeah, I do. You do? And I showed it to her the other day. Uh, when I retired from Australia and New South Wales at the Steve Wall Medal, uh, and Belinda Clark medal night at, for New South Wales. I, I did a bit of a speech and I surprised her by showing showing her on the fo- at the poster. So uh, she thought I was a bit of an idiot doing that. But, um, I think she, she quietly thought it was fantastic as well. Like, of course, it, you know, and yeah, it was a it was a special thing she did. Of course, she did because I think that would be also be something that Belinda Clark would also do to someone else. Don't you think? Oh, embarrass them? Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. She did that to me the other day on a panel. But <laughs> well, she's serious, she, and I was like, "Coming from you, Belinda." <laughs> <laughs> she's already been on this uh, road to the T Twenty World Cup, so you can say whatever you like today. Oh, okay. You can get away. Great. With it. <laughs> she doesn't have a comeback. <laughs> um, one of the things that Belinda did talk about, and I, I always find amazing with this era, era, and you've spanned a couple of eras really of cricketers, is the ability for players to to go away, um, get an education, get into work, but also then balance the life of being, and I say professional cricketer in the way in which they approach things. Um, when you were going through high school, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do away from cricket? Uh, I've always had an interest in school and I, I enjoyed school. Um, I loved the sciences. So I think biology and PE were probably my favourite subjects. Um, I was thinking about things like marine science. Yep. or maybe some sort of health-related uh, field. And I, for my um, 
university preferences, um, number one choice was medicine at UNSW and number two was marine science at Sydney Uni. So I guess that demonstrates that I wasn't really clear what I wanted to do, but it was, um, you know, I had an opportunity to enter the the medical degree at UNSW as a rural entry student. And I, um, I loved that. I loved that opportunity to learn about the human body, about my own body. And I'm very privileged to have had that um, as part of my education. And uh, yeah, it wasn't marine biology. That sort of remains a a hobby of mine. I love marine life and uh, deeply care about uh, about our oceans. And um, although I grew up on a vineyard in one of the driest parts of (laughs) Australia, I I fell in love with the ocean. And I think that was probably... Thanks to, to Port Macquarie, a very informative, or, or sorry, formative um, uh, five years spent there from age four to about nine, yeah. Some people would know this about you, but you, you do spend a lot of time in the water. You, you're avid, well, what, would you, what would you call, angler? I'm say. an angler. Yeah, yeah, you're an angler. That's one of my other um, roles or, or personalities. Yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> I love getting out on the water. It's one of the my favourite ways that I could spend my time um, fishing there a, with my twin like, sister. Was there like a Mr. Cook moment of someone who introduced you to this life? I think it's in my genes, actually. My my maternal grandfather loved fishing and he, he died in his early 70s, so I, I didn't get to, as an adult, um, spend time fishing with him, which was probably... Yeah, one of the things that makes me pretty sad to think about, actually. But he um, he loved his fishing, as did um, uh, my mum's brother, Uncle Darrell, and and also my mum's brother-in-law, Uncle Ron. So my uncles love fishing, and and recently I've uh, since winding down from playing cricket, I've said, look, uncles, I want to get out there, and I want you to show me how to catch trout uh, um, up in the snowy mountains. So. Um, that's been one of the nicest things about stepping away from, from elite sport has been re- reconnecting with my family because you do give up a lot um, of that sort of family time yeah. when you're seriously <laughs> pursuing your, your sport. <laughs> I think there's a there's a show in this, isn't there, Al? Alex Blackwell on the water. If you ask of... me, yeah, look, Mel, if you ask me what my dream job is. Um, Al, what's your dream job? I've, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, look, I've I've probably completed it being a professional athlete, mm-hmm. uh, and secondly would be uh, having a fishing show, and right. actually the earning, you know, being being able to do that full time. Um, so I think there's a lot of very blokey fishing shows out there, and actually I don't want to knock them because I do watch them, but um, I think there's something in fishing, uh, female anglers. Um, you know, showing that it's more than just males who play this, who who do this sport, which is actually fishing's I think Australia's most popular sport or, or most participated in sport. If you if you actually yeah. think about it as a sport, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to come back to that line of questioning um, because it does lead us to sort of sport being a, a wonderful vehicle for social change, and you've certainly um, been a big driver of that through cricket. But before we get there, you mentioned fishing being in your genes. I was 
thankful enough, um, my grandfather taught me how to fish as well. So there's a, a commonality there. Um, you mentioned genes, though. You're a genetic counsellor. So you've, you've gone through university. You've, you've become a genetic counsellor. You put it on hold when you became one of the first ever females to be a full-time professional cricket here in Australia in 2015. And now you're venturing back there. In a, in a snapshot, what is it and what do you do? Uh, yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> to, I asked Ishiguro this the other day, and it took her about forty-five minutes to describe her thesis. So I'm I'm banking on you to okay, nail look, this I'll in try. two and a half I'll minutes. You know, I like to chat. So, um, <laughs> look, um, we're knowing more and more about our genes. There's about twenty thousand genes, and we know about what four thousand of them do. And there's like a new gene discovered every week, type of thing. So. Um, how our genes impact on our health is uh, emerging um, in terms of our knowledge and understanding. So I, I'm really there to help families and individuals go through the journey of genetic testing or, or actually more accurately now genomic testing, like looking at all the genes at once and understanding what the variations that that person carries, what that might mean uh, in terms of the health condition that they're currently presenting with. Right, yeah. Is that, um, yeah. that's really blurry, but um, yeah, genetics yeah. is becoming more mainstream as well in terms of um, other health professionals, not just geneticists ordering tests, but maybe yeah. endocrinologists or cardiologists or um, ophthalmologists. They'll be ordering genetic tests and... Um, being able to decipher what that actually means in a way that the family can understand, that's where the counsellor yep. comes in. Gotcha. Yeah. Just to simplify things. Hmm. And, and it's ongoing support cause, and, and going through the process of actually considering, do you really want to do this test? Because once you know genetic information about yourself, you can't unknow it and it can actually change you know, your, your approach to life. If you know you're at risk yeah. of a yeah. genetic condition down the track, you might actually do things differently in your life, um, have children earlier or go travelling, you know, whatever it might be. Or so not it's have a pretty children. big deal. Or not have children, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You love it? I do. I'm, I'm still fairly junior in, in my role because I've spent – the last 15 years playing cricket for Australia. So <laughs> no, I've, I've been busy doing other things. But, um, yeah, I, I sort of feel at home again, coming back into the, the medical and health sort of field and uh, really enjoying working alongside some brilliant people and, and learning lots every day. So three days a week at Sydney Children's Hospital at Randwick and uh, really enjoying it. So, you know, pleased that I've had something to fall back on after a long cricket career. Okay, let's get into this cricket career because, and I'm not going to list all the things that you've done because we, as I said, you're on your lunch break and we only have a certain amount of time. When you look back on it, um, and I know we've we've spoken um, quite a bit about your career and just the, the way in which uh, Australian women's um, sport and cricket has developed. Is there anything that stands out the most for you as what you're, you're most proud of? I, I'm very proud of... Um the achievements on the field, and I guess if, if some of them sort of jump out, it would be leading Australia to our first T20 World Cup victory and also captaining in a test match. I've got a 
100% win record as a test captain. That's pretty cool. Can't take that um, away from you, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we actually just declared behind England's first innings score in, in that match at, at uh, Bankstown Oval in 2011. So that, that was a pretty amazing match. Included a hat trick from Renee Farrell, Renee which Farrell, turned yeah. the game on its head. So that's a huge highlight. Um, look, I, I think more broadly, I'm very proud of the conversations I've started within cricket about how we need to be more inclusive and, and actually live our purpose, which is to be Australia's favourite sport and a sport for all Australians. Uh, that purpose has recently changed to be able to inspire and unite communities to love cricket. Um, uh, so actually, I've probably got that purpose wrong. It changes often. But the idea being, um, you know, to unite communities yeah, and to be a sport for everyone. I, I wasn't convinced we were doing that as well as we could over the years uh, that I've been involved. So, you know, I guess particular groups um, would be uh, the LGBTQI community. I think that um, cricket historically hasn't hasn't welcomed or celebrated, um, you know, that that ten percent of Australian community um, to why do you think that is cricket. Um, that's a difficult question, I think. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, it's probably through uh, lack of uh, true data and information and lack of understanding and, and, and maybe lack of experience, maybe um, some ignorance um, and fear around LGBTQI people that... Um, is yeah, it, it can it can uh, be difficult for everyday people to to fully understand that group um, yeah. if they don't have a, a personal connection to it. But at yeah. the end of the day, yeah, you know, it's just about people playing cricket, and we want we want everyone to be included. Yeah. And and I'm really proud to say that we're we're so much better at doing that um, as a sport now um, but it's taken a little while. Do you think that um, Australia going through the same-sex marriage vote uh, a number of years ago helped that discussion and change that dialogue? Yeah it was an interesting time. Um, uh, marriage equality in Australia I, I, I was married um, two years prior to, to that vote here so uh, I was married to Lindsay Askew in England and uh, our, our our marriage was not recognised when we returned home to Australia. So, you know, it was pretty hard to, to be representing a country to, my, to the best of my ability when um, the laws didn't treat me as an equal citizen. Yeah. Um, so I'm really pleased to say that, you know, we achieved that as a nation. But Cricket Australia backing it um, meant a lot to me and... Um, you know, it actually, although it was a quite divisive sort of debate, um, the right outcome happened. But it was pretty upsetting for a lot of people and took its toll um, yeah. when, you know, your relationship is subject to sort of scrutiny um, and debate. But it did open up conversations and uh, even... You know, I, I don't think you'll mind say, uh, me saying that, you know, I was in the gym... Um, at, at Cricket New South Wales and Stephen O'Keefe was doing his gym session at the time and 
we just had a conversation about it. He said, Alex, don't worry, in this envelope is, is a yes vote. And, um, you know, it got us talking about uh, equal rights. And um, I don't think we would have had that conversation yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't yeah. for the marriage <laughs> equality debate. So, um, yeah, it, it did open up more, more conversation. And, um, you know, I think we've, we've seen significant strides forward since then within the game of cricket. One of the other ones, um, a recent policy of Cricket Australia was the, the transgender um, policy and guidelines as well. Um, you are a very avid, you know, club cricketer as well. You play at every level and, and love every playing at every level. Community cricket, though, is really the, the heartland of it, isn't it, in terms of diversity? Um, how, do you see, how did you see that process coming through and how much of an impact do you think that's going to make? Oh, well, again, it was Cricket Australia... Um being brave and, and tackling something that's not easy um, and to create a policy that aligns with, with our purpose for, for sport to be, uh, for cricket to be a place for everyone. Um, you know, I see that cricket understands the power of our sport to change lives and when we think about the unacceptably high rates of mental ill health and suicide in particular parts of our Australian uh, society, when you think about in the trans community, just completely unacceptable rates of suicide attempt and uh, and self harm. So you know, if sport can play a role in shifting the dial on that, what a what a great place to focus our attention. Um, and you know, I've seen firsthand the difference cricket has made in the life of uh, my teammate Erica James. She joined um, University's Women's Cricket Club uh, I think three months into her transition yeah. and it's been a huge part of um, you know, that, allowing her to do, uh, do it be a part of society in the gender identity that she has which is as, as a female and you know I think you know, participating in sport with women was a big part of that for her and for her, um, you know, her well-being. And yeah, and she's yeah. had so much fun and she has actually contributed amazingly to our club. And club volunteers are just so hard to come by. And she <laughs> gets they? my yeah. vote for, uh, you know, club person of the year because she does more <laughs> than just go out there and play. She actually helps run the club. So, did, uh, so do you think she wonderful. joined? do you think she joined because um, she felt safe in that, in your cricket club environment, or did she like cricket and seek out a club? Um, she was interested to play cricket. Um, she had played as a child, um, but didn't feel sport was really a welcoming place, uh, you know, th throughout her life. And um, returned uh, to cricket. Uh, and the way she went about that was she Googled trans-friendly cricket clubs. And uh, the Cricket Australia Sport for All document popped up. And in that document was an email address uh, for Julie Stafford at Cricket New South Wales, who then uh, was contacted by Erica. And then Julie passed on the, the, the sort of recommendation to, to speak with me and my club um, because she knew, you know, I was sort of active in this inclusion space. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was great. Uh, she found a, a way to... <laughs> to a club that uh, would welcome her just as she is. And, um, you know, it's been a wonderful experience for, for all of us.
USA football captain Megan Rapinoe was on the steps of New York City Hall celebrating winning the, uh, the recent World Cup in France. And she used the platform to say, this is my charge to everyone. We have to be better. We have to love more and hate less, listen more and talk less. It's our responsibility to make this world a better place. How much of a influence, I guess, Al, does someone like that have on you? Because, you know, I, I look at you and I think you're absolutely amazing in the way in which you balance being the elite cricketer, but also being the voice for, for so many people. Did, does it make it easier when you've got um, people like Megan out there um, leading the way? Oh, it's been incredible to see her advocacy. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think people like Megan and, and you know, the, the work that I've done as well, you know, it's not something we've really chosen to do. It's sort of a need. It's like if we've experienced uh, injustice or, or discrimination or, you know, just inequality within the, the spheres we're in, um, I think it comes down to the fact that I don't believe that that's fair. I don't actually agree with um, me being treated as less than compared to people, other people around me. So, you know, it's... Um, but that's still really a choice that you of, make though, isn't it? Because you could choose to not agree with it but not speak up. Yeah, look, I think it's it's a choice that wasn't really a choice for me because I knew that I would not be able to reach anywhere near my potential as a person and as a cricketer if I bought into the idea through silence, through letting it happen, that um, I'm not as good because I'm same-sex attracted. I mean, it's just ridiculous in my mind to to think that I'm less than. And and I guess that that, um, comes from some inner strength in whatever, you know, way that that manifest like I think it comes down to the way I've been brought up the support I have in my family I'm I'm in a position to say hang on I don't believe that and I think you know then I it was really a selfish thing that I knew if I kept allowing this to happen to continue to receive these subtle messages these sort of subliminal messages that there's something wrong with me if I if I allowed that to happen in a way I'm I'm you know buying into it and I just would not be able to, to be the person I wanted to be if that was happening. So, um, and through that, through that kind of selfish thing that I've done as stand up for myself, um, I've found myself in a position where I'm standing up for many other people as well. Um, and yeah, I'm pleased about the impact I've had. Um, and subsequently I've had many, um, sort of older women who have reached out to me to say, Thank you for saying what we couldn't, because yeah. they simply weren't yeah. in a safe space to be able to do that. I mean, they yeah. were still receiving death threats or, you know, risk of losing their jobs. Um, and I'm not in that generation. I'm in a generation that can speak more freely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, it's just right time, right place. It's been, it's taken it a bit of a toll at times, um, but ultimately great things have come from it. I've made an amazing connections met some very interesting people and um yeah it's just kind of what i do um 
stand up for myself. <laughs> you Pump do. And, do. <laughs> and strut. Yeah, I love it. I love the Blackwell strut. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's a perfect place to take a quick break on Road to the T20 World Cup because what you've just said there, Alex Blackwell, I think a lot of people will just take a moment for that all to sink in because, yeah, it is a game changer. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back to talk all things T20 World Cup next year in Feb March. On SEN, this is Road to the T20 World Cup with Mel Jones. It's been thoroughly enjoyable so far on uh, Road to the T20 World Cup chatting all things, everything really, with Alex Blackwell. We're going to turn our attention though to the World Cup, which uh, is well and truly in massive, massive countdown because it's just around the corner. Al, you've played in the majority of these T20 World Cups. You've, you've already mentioned the 2010 one, which you captained Australia to that win. We've had Amy Satterthwaite. She was our, our second guest on the show. And she remembered that, obviously, with completely different emotions around it, being on the uh, the end of the Elise Perry boot. <laughs> What's been the biggest changes for you in terms of the style of play for T20 cricket? Interestingly, I'll probably talk more about the bowling. Uh, I'm a batter, obviously, but yeah. um, I've seen a real development in the bowling. Um, I've seen more intricate sort of plans or uh, more more dynamic kind of approach to to bowling and over and, and sort of um, being more willing to go to those variations in the power play, for example. You know, yeah. the batters have forced the bowlers to do more. Um, so, you know, to see the likes of Megan shoot and her ability to change the pace. Yes, yeah, she's consistent. She can swing the ball in. But prior to the batter um, predicting, you know, another stock ball, she'll, she'll be throwing in a variation or coming around the wicket. So I see that, um, yeah, that the, uh, the confidence and the skill to deliver their variations has really improved. Um, I've seen, you know, I just love watching Amelia Kerr and just, the skill that that kid has. I mean, being able to fool pretty much every batter in world cricket. She spins the ball both ways. Um, She's really powerful and athletic through the crease. She's really interesting to watch. And, um, uh, and, you know, from such a young age, she's got a lot more to deliver um, for New Zealand. So, um, yeah, I I would say that's the biggest change. Um, Quite, you know, I guess obviously there's there's the number of sixes being hit and the distance that they're being hit. Um, That would be interesting to sort of measure from 2010 or at least, well, 2009, which was the first T20 World Cup and compare it to, you know, what we'll see uh, next year. That that would be quite, quite an interesting statistic. Do you also think that the um, the depth of world cricket is improving as well? You mentioned Amelia Kerr. We've got um, so many players playing in the, the WBBL of late that all of a sudden that's upskilling players from a variety of different countries, um, South Africa to, to Pakistan to the West Indies and the like. Do you think that the competition is also deeper? Um I think that the the sort of leading countries are sort of breaking away a little from sort of the the middle of the pack and and the emerging countries. So um, Australia, we're really seeing great momentum in their improvement over over the last few years. Um, They were already good and they're just sort of getting better at a a quicker rate than other other squads. I'm interested to see where India are at in their 
T20 World Cup, they've really threatened to be able to take one of these titles um, and haven't quite nailed it. But I think they've sort of got the got the mix of players um, who could do that. Um, so, if there's one ingredient yeah, missing love... from India, what do you think it is for them? Um, probably athleticism in the field. Um, they need more of their athletes to be able to deliver sort of game-changing moments in the field. Uh, yeah. Whereas, you know, if you look at the Australian team, people like Aaron Burns probably being selected off the back of a game-changing fielding moment. And now she's, you know, showing... Semi-final of last year's WBBL. Well. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So um, I, I think that's probably um, the depth um, issue for the, for India would be their fielding, but I love what they deliver from a batting and bowling point of view. Uh, when you look at the uh, the teams competing, uh, who's who's your dark horse? Who's the one, like everyone's probably got Australia as, as the favourite mm. at the moment. Um, it's it's going to be a massive challenge for them to handle the expectation and pressure of a home World Cup, but we saw England do that brilliantly in 2017. Um, mm. who, who, who's the dark, who's, who's a team that you look at and go, actually, they've, they've got a good mix of players. South Africa. Um, yeah. you know, I think we've had Marazan Cup and, um, Dane Van Niekirk, um, uh, Lizelle Lee and also Shabnim Ishmael consistently in the WBBL and in the Kia Super League. Uh, I think that forms a pretty formidable group. Um, and then obviously we've got uh, how about Hurricane? I've had a mind blank. Uh, left arm bowler, powerful hitter. Chloe Tryon. Um, Tryon as well. Mm. So that's a f- round out five players who could could win, you know, just on win a game for their team on their own. So yeah. I think South Africa would would be the one that people might not think of. You know, we think of India because I think they're they're a sensible sort of um, pick of a team that could make the finals um, and could win it. But, yeah, South Africa at the T20 World Cups maybe have under underperformed. Um, they've certainly got what it takes to win it. Uh, it's just whether they can bring it together during that tournament. You've mentioned India. There's a, a name that... Um has been popping up quite a bit whenever anyone is talking Indian cricket at the moment. Uh, the young gun Shafali Verma sort of sprung onto the scene re- during the recent Women's Challenge, uh, T20 Challenge in India, which is sort of almost the, the women's IPL exhibition matches, and got picked up in the Indian team recently, played against the West Indies, hit two consecutive 50s in her first two games. Is that probably a, a, almost a scary factor of India that all of a sudden these, these young players are, are going through into academies and getting through into the team and almost the world's their oyster, really, India, if they, if they can harness the talent within their country. Yeah, exactly. I think you're yeah, spot on there, harnessing the talent. I mean, they've got millions of people that they could, um, you know, attract to the sport. And it's about how, how do those people find the sport and how, do, how are they supported through the system? Because if they harness um, that, the, the numbers and also the passion for the sport of cricket in that country, I think, you know, they could just dominate for years if they get it right. Um, so I think the current Indian team, the likes of Harmaprit Kaur, who's one of my favourite players to watch, um, love it when she's in my team, yeah. uh, and uh, <laughs> Shafali Verma, who I haven't seen a lot of, but, um, you know, former teammate Harman Preet says that, you know, if, if she's just as good, if not better, than, than herself, which is like... <laughs> Scary to think about. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, to see them both teeing off from each end, that, that would be a treat, I think, for anyone watching. 
One of the, the second question that I ask everyone on this podcast is what would it mean to them to see the MCG at capacity on March 8, International Women's Cricket Day? What would it mean for you, Alex Blackwell? Oh, it, it would sort of be something that I've, if I could see it in real life, like I can't quite believe it until I see it. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, we, we, we're, we're often pleasantly surprised um, we had our first double header international cricket at T20 at the MCG playing for Australia. My t- twin sister was in the team. Uh, it was a double header in front of a men's T20 international, and I think 30,000 people came into the MCG into yeah. one stand. And you know that number of people in the stand actually had a huge impact um, to us as players. You'd do a dive on the field, and for the first time, you actually heard a crowd supporting you so um, I'm trying to think how many years that's probably 2008 so we're now going into 2019 I think I think it's a it's a realistic goal to fill the MCG let's let's say it's Australia v someone else Mm -hmm. Katy Perry's (laughs) performing Um, there's no reason why you shouldn't get down there and be a part of it like I'm pretty confident we're going to be achieving a world record, the greatest ever attendance at a women's sporting event globally, uh, previously being the, the FIFA Women's Football World Cup. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's aspirational. But, um, yeah, look, I, I think it will just be a phenomenal experience for everyone, us who are in the stands and also, obviously, the players out there. Um, it will be a game-changer. Al, you've just given me goosebumps, um, as you did on many occasions when you were playing um, and as you have done um, for being a voice of cricket. Uh, thank you so much for taking your lunch break off uh, to join us on Road to the T20 World Cup. You're an absolute gem. Thanks, Mel.